What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, I brought back a former guest who was on episode 312. He is a real estate broker, founder of Bit Realty, and is involved in the tokenization of real estate. And we got some exciting updates on what he's been up to. Welcome to the show, Ryan Beckett. Welcome back to the show, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, it's been a little over a year since I think we did this last. It was episode 312, 312. So if you want to go back and and uh, see that, you know, if you're listening to this and uh, want to know more about Ryan's foundation and how he started, uh, go back, watch episode 312. We talk about the tokenization of real estate and some of the cool things Ryan's been doing there. But why don't you give us an update? What's What's been going on in your world the last 12 months? Yeah, it's amazing how time flies hyper fast, if you will, right? Uh, it, it's amazing how quickly it's been going. So I signed a uh, consulting agreement with a company called United Franchise Group. They have companies like VentureX, John Smith Subs in their portfolio. And what they're doing is they're consulting uh, with me and Bit Realty on franchising uh, the company. So they do all my legal in all 50 states because sometimes there's different franchise law in each state. Uh, updating my logo, landing page, pro formas, all of that. So I've been really in the weeds and also Bit Realty's in an accelerator program with an incubator group in downtown West Palm Beach. So I've had my hands full as I round out, as you mentioned, my dissertation, which is on the adoption of uh, fractionalized real estate ownership uh, tokenization. And I have to admit, to be candid, I'm kind of confused. Uh, mm. I have a little paralysis by analysis on the brokerage model. And here's why. I describe it as a time that's exciting and scary to be in the brokerage space. And I say that because I feel like the brokerage models are in some ways going the way of the dodo bird in that the brokerage and the broker value proposition, in my experience and what I see, has been eroded. Before I got into the business, MLS books were delivered bi-weekly to the brokerage office. You had to go in there to meet clients. You had to get contracts on the fax machine there, uh, and you had collaboration in our office. Now, I believe, you know, in Florida, across across the country, a lot of these realtors are like, listen, I have this, this listing, I have this buyer, I have this rental because of me. Like, I'm the brand. And I went in and I ate a granola bar and I made a photocopy and sure my broker makes me legal with the state but why am I giving them 20% <clears throat> excuse me sometimes of my commission out of my pocket so I've seen a, the emergence of a bunch of different brands EXP is a very interesting one uh, I describe it as Keller Williams on steroids you know they have the multi-level you know you can get cash flow and help them recruit you can make money on the stock price because they're publicly traded. It's a pretty beautiful thing. And then I think, as I understand it, they kind of stay out of your way and they give you the support and education, legality, compliance, all of those things that that you need. The two ones that I'm keeping my eye on are um, out of Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. One's called Side. The other one's called Radius. Now, I've interviewed them for Bit Realty. Uh, and the reason I was able to do that with Bit Realty is just a quick high-level assessment. 
Side says they take top producers. So you have to be in the top earning income as a team leader. They become your broker of record, but you keep your brand. So with me with Bit Realty, for example, I keep it. I started DBA doing business as, and they provide all the stuff that's a pain in the butt. CRMs, compliance, education. So they describe themselves as the engine of the car. And then you're the brand, you go out and do you. They even help you with recruiting, interviewing, because that serves them as well. Now, they operate on a model that they cap, kind of like Keller Williams and EXP. So as a team leader, me as the broker, once I cap at 50,000, I'm on an 80-20 split. I go to 100% for the rest of the fiscal year and then it resets. For the people that are agents under me, I have about 20. Those cap at 35 and they start on an 80-20 split. And are, I'm, is, is side a place that a, like a high producing solo agent could go to or is it for brokers and teams primarily? Or so a solo, a solo agent could go there, but as I understand their model, they would encourage that solo agent to build a team once they come under and start developing some passive income because they provide you the engine of the car the infrastructure and framework to do so, according to them, rather easily. So why wouldn't you kind of deal? Um, I'm very excited about Radius. I think that's probably of all the ones I've studied the most excited about. This is why. They do a similar thing. One of the main investors is Spencer Raskoff, co-founder of Zillow. They started as a social platform for realtors. Once this investor group came in, they pushed them into more of a brokerage model, cloud brokerage, if you will. So what they say is that, hey, we also are the engine to your car, education, CRM, health insurance availability, mental wellness through Headspace. A lot of it's third party, slick app, referral network across the country. And what they say is they say, hey, we don't touch any of your commission. You don't got to cap out. You don't got to reset. Your team leader has 100%. Now, if I wanted to put everyone on a 90-95, that's up to me as the team leader. But what I like about Radius is they give you the latitude to design your business because New York City has more average 70-30 splits. Where in Florida, we're very high relative to a lot of other places. You know, you have 90-95 and even 100% brokerages here in uh, South Florida. So are they, did I hear you correctly in that, that Radius lets you decide the split or, or they're not taking anything or... If, if I heard they're taking right. they're taking no commission at all. So it's a hundred percent split with radius. But since I'm the team leader, I could pass that through to people on my team. Or if I wanted to make a profit on that, and the market and my agents were uh, agreeable to it, I could put them on a split. I could build a multi-level stack because of the hundred percent latitude. It allows me a lump of clay that I can mold any way I want. Where I know the next question, how do they make yeah. money, right? So how they make money is they're planning for an IPO. So anytime I bring someone in, they give me 100 shares of com common stock, right, as an incentive. So they're gearing up for an IPO. So they want to build up their, their network effect, right? So, so that's kind of the foresight. But in terms of cash flow, they look at themselves as more of a SaaS model, software as a service. So because they're giving you their tech stack that filters out, you know, again, education, CRM, all these other things, they charge the team leader, if memory serves, around $650 a month. 
And the people on my team, I believe it's closer to 350 a month. So that is uh, cash flow number one, software as a service. The second thing that they do is since they provide a nationwide network of realtors with brands like mine that come under their umbrella, if I had a referral to give to New York City, they charge that receiving realtor 35% referral fee, they pay me the standard 25 and they take the 10% spread. So that's cash flow uh, number two. And they're trying to have some virality in their growth. So when they go to IPO, they're like, hey, we got these thousands of, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of agents. These are the brands. This is what we do. And it looks, um, uh, looks, makes them look more attractive for their initial public offering. And I assume at some point, if they haven't already, they would probably add ancillary services or other, other things that would benefit the agents there, but generate cash flow for them. Is that? That's right. So the, 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 yes, that's right. The right now, I think they think they have a pretty complete ecosystem because they can help you drive leads. They help you recruit, interview, build your team. They let you continue to develop your own brand, not their brand. Uh, which I know is a pain point for a lot of realtors. Um, and they just kind of go into the background. You don't, you could put promote radius, but most people say, Hey, this is bit realty. You know, we're powered by radius in the background is kind of how they look at it. What's, what's your take on the importance of brand? Cause I hear a lot of, a lot of agents sometimes don't want to go to a certain brokerage because they think the brand isn't cool or whatever and and they want to and they they'll still claim they want to brand themselves but then you know you look at, I, I won't like mention any names but you look at some of these traditional or new traditional uh big box brokerages and every agent all 300 agents at that office have the same exact sign color font logo it's just their name and phone number yeah. are different and in my mind that's that's not really a brand. You're, you're branding some national company at that point, not yourself. Yeah, I it's a great question, and I've pondered this a lot. So I think brand doesn't matter much. And as the value proposition uh, of the brokerage erodes uh, from the last 30, 40 years, uh, I think it's even less important. What I do think is if you're going up against a listing appointment against another realtor and they have no brand, and you have a big box brand, let's call it Sotheby's, Douglas Elliman, whatever the case may be. And they're very close between deciding which listing agent uh, they're going to use. I think that a brand could help you win by a neck length, so to speak. I think that's important. I think if you perform or operate work in a market where there's a lot of cross-pollination from another big market like New York City to Palm Beach, I think that there is some value in having continuity of a brand. They work with Douglas Elliman in New York City, so they're familiar with the brand. They'll want to work on the buy or sell, uh, selling side with uh, Douglas Elliman. So I think it still has its place, but I think it's less and less important. And I always give this example. I'm good friends with Christian Angle, who works on Palm Beach Island. Christian Angle was number one in the state, number two in the country last year. And I know Palm Beach Island's a, a anomaly market, but the name of his brand is Christian Angle Real Estate. So, you know, he's his own brokerage. So that, and he's going against the big boys. All the big box brands are on the island. They want market share. And he doesn't even have realtors working for him. He has a big team that assists him. Uh, he had a team at one point. He fired them all. He said it was too much work and the ROI just wasn't there. 
So he's able to operate. That said, he's developed his own brand. Uh, so, you know, there's there's kind of a mixed answer, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I think if, if you go out as an agent, build your own personal brand, you know, at the end of the day, the person's hiring you. Um, but if you haven't done that, then it then I think there's probably some circumstances where it could matter. But certainly the most profitable thing and uh, best way to grow, I believe, is to go out and build your own brand, become your own person, and, and just plug into the most efficient platform to operate on. And there's, there seems to be more and more of these choices arising and just, you know, ton, tons of disruption going on right now to the old model, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I say it's scary and exciting at the same time. I think realtors are looked more as micro-influencers. A lot of corporations had a epiphany. Instead of hiring to someone that has 26 million followers that is a major influencer, they're better off hiring the micro-influencer because you know, if they're trying to sell something here in South Florida, it doesn't matter that they have a thousand followers in Dubai and Sydney and London and all that. But the ROI on that person that had 30,000 followers, the lion's share of which was in the South Florida market, they seem to solve a better ROI. And realtors, I think, are more like that. You go to a realtor because you know what's happening with the new bridge. You know what's happening with the restaurant space. You know kind of the cadence of the market. You know, you know what the neighbors are doing or saying, and that's what I believe even realtors can maybe get disrupted in some ways. And people are like, man, I just sold my house. You made 200,000 on my house and you had it for four weeks. Like, that's crazy. That's as much money as I made all year. But I think the value, the cream rise to the top is that if you're an expert in your area, you know, price per square foot, you know, the trends, you know, all that. So I think that these micro areas and becoming an expert is what makes these realtors still have great value to people. Where do you think this ends up in the next decade? If you can even look out that far, like do you, do you see the EXPs, the sides, the radiuses, like those companies taking over everything is, is, perhaps the big box brokerage model will only exist in certain niches or, or will be, I, I think, I think the, (laughs) I think the big box brokerages like the uh, luxury brands uh, will be a little bit more resilient because I use an analogy like uh, Robin hood to invest and Morgan Stanley. Some people love doing their own trades, you know, doing the GameStop thing and do whatever. But then some people, want a Morgan Stanley guy in a Windsor not suit doing the family trust and shaking their hand and, and doing all that. So I think that these markets where you're coming from New York City to Palm Beach and you're brand new to the area, they want to be driven around in the car. They want to know the different nuances. I think that more in the mainstream of real estate, there may be a shift in more of a commoditization of of buying real estate it's still very emotional and it's your largest investment as we all know and has become a cliche um but i i think for those reasons luxury brands will stay relatively resilient i think that there will be potentially a commission compression um on what agents make based on price point um kind of a a, a tiered service if you will 
But that said, I could 100% be wrong because the 6% commission has been amazingly, amazingly resilient. I mean, I remember as a kid, maybe you guys in the audience remember, do you remember that big uh, company for sale by owner and they had that little jingle on TV and everything? That was back in like the, the late 80s, early 90s. And I think they were pretty successful, but they're not around anymore. And they're providing a platform for Fizbo's to go on online. So it's a huge industry. It's going to be hard to disrupt. I make a joke that uh, it's probably no coincidence that the NRA and the NAR are very similar acronyms because it's one of the largest <laughs> lobby groups, right? Um, and I also I've think never, that... I've never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I also think that to be fair and to give a counter argument, a lot of people don't realize how much work realtors do and how much they don't get paid for a lot of their work. So a lot of times I think people are like, yeah, I can sell this house on my own. And they get and they don't do it that often. And there's little mistakes that can be a big, big deal that a realtor, a good one, can help you avoid those landmines. And when a guy leaves the office early to do his own showing to the house and the realtor doesn't show up or he's late and whatever, you know, you get that phone call. Yeah, Ryan, I'm, I'm going to sign up for the whole whole enchilada because uh, I didn't realize, you know, the environment that you guys operate in. So we'll see if, if I knew I would have that business plan for Bit Realty and we would go that direction. That's why I'm kind of measuring twice, cutting once, hopefully. What have you seen so far in your market this year with the rise of interest rates? A lot of places are seeing less transactions, not necessarily huge drops in prices, but inventory definitely is coming up in a lot of places. Uh, what what are you seeing in the markets that you're in? So like you, I'm in the South Florida market and we still have a phenomenal fundamentals. Like for example, supply and demand. You can't build it fast enough. We have more and more people. I forgot what the number was that moved to Florida per day, but I remember being staggered by the amount of people moving to South Florida per day. So I think the fundamentals are still there. And in South Florida real estate, it stayed pretty consistent. I have an unpopular opinion that we needed this because I started in the real estate business in 2005 and I worked my butt off through the recession. And I worked for almost two years making a fraction of what I used to make and made after the recession. And I was like, man, I'm working my butt off, spinning my wheels literally and figuratively. I'm not making any money. So brokerage, brokerages and realtors, whether a house sells for a million or 900,000, we're good. You know, it, it, that hurts the, affects the seller more. It's we get in trouble when the market stagnates and things don't transact. So even if there's a softening in the prices, we just want velocity to keep going because that's what we're doing. We're brokering deals, right? So um, the velocity certainly has slowed. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing situations where the sellers are definitely more negotiable. They're offering sometimes to buy down the interest rate for the buyer as like another extra incentive. You know, you reach an impasse on negotiation on price. Seller says, hey, I know you're worried that the interest rates are here. How about if we throw in and we help buy down? And that's just another negotiation point. Um, the other thing is the Burr method, which I just started learning about, which is becoming very popular, which is uh, for investment customers of mine, where they buy, renovate, uh, rent, and then refinance because they can go back to the bank 
once it's renovated and once it's cash flowed and get a way more attractive loan. So I'm seeing very a lot of popularity for my buyers that are investor types. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the price really doesn't affect real estate agents as much as the velocity. And yes, this year is 20% down compared to last year, but the 21 was a banner year. You know, transactions were up almost 22%. So it, it's almost just a return to normal, but I do think it will, uh, it'll be hard for the agents that are, that have not put in the time to develop, you know, high, high selling skills basically. So I think, I think, those are the ones that will be affected the most. The ones that you know just haven't put in the time and training uh, to elevating their skill set. That's right, and 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 you touched on uh, another important part. So there's two things. When when the market gets crazy, that's how you have a bubble. That's not good for anyone. It's not good for us as realtors. It's not good for the industry. It's not good for anything. So that's why I said the industry and our economy needed a cold shoulder or a cold shower. We we were running at red line for way too long and it wasn't sustainable. So I actually think long term, a lot of people may disagree with me because of the short term effects, but I think long term, it's better for our industry. It's better for brokerages. It's better for realtors. And the point you just alluded to, I couldn't agree more. Having gone through some cycles in the market since 2005, <clears throat> I get a little nervous when every friend is getting their real estate license and they put a lockbox on a house and it sells in three days for over listing price. Those are some bad signs. I know people love it in the moment, but that, that, that scares me. That's when I start to batten down the hatches and I'm like, all right, we could be going into a bubble. We could go in and, and when you got to pay the reaper on that, it's not fun. So if we do it and have some austerity measures and have some realism injected into our business and the economy, uh, as much as it can suck in the short term, I think it's best for the long term. Well, I agree completely. This has been amazing. Thank you for coming on again. If you guys missed Ryan the first time, go watch, listen, uh, episode 312. Uh, Ryan, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about all the amazing things you're doing, what are the best ways they should do that? Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. It's always a pleasure. The best way is I'm on Instagram. It's simply my last name, Beckett Bit Realties on all the social platforms. And I'd love to have you on a guest. We just started our own podcast called Real Estate in the Digital Age. So I'd love to schedule some time with you so you guys can listen. And I'd love to talk to you offline about bringing you on because I think that would be awesome. All right. Well, let's definitely do that. And thanks again for being on the show. And to all of our listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. Please Leave us some feedback, review the show, and share it with some other people that would benefit from watching or listening as well. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.